She's beaten the best from Europe on their turf. Now can Lady Aurelia beat them at home? We'll talk to her trainer, Wesley Ward. Plus the very introverted and shy Jay Oranger sends out Pietti Bianchi in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. All that and more as we begin our daily countdown to the Breeders' Cup here on In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish! This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Lady Aurelia nearest to us. Muthmere beginning to stay on behind those. Lady Aurelia down the centre in the white and green colours. She's going away at the end. Lady Aurelia and John Velasquez. Oh, she's one by two or three in great style. American horses have done surprisingly well racing in Europe over the years. As far back as 1881, an American bred horse, Iroquois, won the Epsom Derby. Last year, five American horses won at Royal Ascot led by Lady Aurelia. The great turf sprinter notched a second Royal Ascot win this summer, as you've heard, the first three-year-old filly to win the King's Stand since 2002. That was the eighth win at Europe's most prestigious meeting for American trainer Wesley Ward. Will Lady Aurelia provide a moment at his own country's most prestigious meeting, the Breeders' Cup? For some thoughts on that, we welcome back to In the Gate trainer Wesley Ward. You've spaced her races roughly every two months, both last year when she was two and this year at age three. It'll be a little longer than that from her last race, which we'll get to, to the Breeders' Cup. How concerned are you that she'll be too fresh? None at all. Tell you, she's been training just very relaxed, more relaxed than I've ever seen her. I think she's getting older. You know, she's kind of getting together mentally now and she knows what her job is and, you know, she relishes the time off that she gets after her races and then, you know, we gradually ease her back into her training schedule and, you know, I'm really looking forward to this race. She's coming into it fantastic with ample spacing, with no chinks in the armor and we're ready to go. Wait, she didn't have it all together mentally when she was two years old and won at Royal Ascot? Well, if you watch those races, although being powerful, I mean, she when they broke from the gate, as soon as the gates opened, Frankie was sitting against her. You know, she was just all speed, and that's the way I trained her. And then this year, we've kind of took the blinkers off and tried to get her to settle and relax and work her behind horses. And from the first race back, where Johnny kind of got her right at the start of the Giants Causeway in, in April here at Keeneland. And then after that, she's just been beautiful. It's a... It's a real weapon to have her speed where, where she can just kind of come off the bridle of the race. And then when the rider calls on her and grabs her and, and asks her to go, she just, she just goes like uh, Julio Garcia that breezes her calls it a turbo, but on down to the last furlong and a half, Frankie shakes up Lady Aurelia. Batash is challenging strongly. Marsha joining in on the near side. Three across the track. Marsha tackling Lady Aurelia, who's just beginning to edge off a true line. Lady Aurelia the far side. Marsha trying to pick her back on the near side. Lady Aurelia and Marsha as they race close home. Tremendous finish between the two in the Nunthorpe. 
the Nunthorpe is arguably the best race on both the North American and European continents this year. How did you feel down the stretch of that race? Well, as you can imagine, I've watched that race over and over about a hundred times, you know, as you do, and you just see what you can improve on and what you can pick apart and what you can do different. And there was a lot of buildup again between um, Lady Aurelia and Batash. He was, you know, the, the budding superstar over there. And I think that kind of wore on Frankie's mind a little bit. So he kind of wanted to get first run on that Colt or gelding. And I think that, you know, had he just rode his race and and not worried about any other horse in the race, I think that we probably could have won it. And I don't blame him for doing that because I myself was was worried about that guy because he, you know, he was kind of uh, his numbers were comparable to Lady Amelia's numbers, and you know they made a big deal of it in the press. And so he wanted to move before Batash moved, which he did, and he kind of opened up on him, and he kind of wanted to pull the heart away from him was his plan. And it all happened great, with the exception of uh, Marcia coming, uh, sitting back there, sort of waiting to pounce on us and make a move. And it, he kind of made us a little bit more vulnerable. I think if Frankie, you know, now knowing what he knows now, if he would have just rode his race, that we might have been, you know, on the other side of the wind photo. But as I said, that's just, you know, me watching the race a hundred times over, picking it apart, you know, take nothing away from uh, Frankie's ride because there's nobody in the world that rode better for me and on uh, it would have won uh, on undrafted a few years back than him. And I consider him the greatest and besides that, the greatest guy. But as I said, you know, when you're sitting back and you're watching and watching and see what you could do different, you know, I, I just think that uh, unfortunately we got beat a, a less than half a thumbnail in the, in the photo and it was, it was disheartening, but I was very, very proud of the Philly. She ran a winning effort. She actually came back to the barn and, and we realized she lost. She she really thought she won the race. So um, it was, you know, how horses can get, you know, when they when they reach down deep into their soul and they try like she did, you know, sometimes when they when they get beat, you know, a length or two and they feel a little de- dejected after the race. And this filly didn't. She she came back bouncing the next, you know, right as we were cooling out and bouncing the next morning and really happy. And so she really thought she won it. How concerned are you about how she'll run around the tight turn at Del Mar as compared with a straight course like you get in Europe frequently? You know, she's she's been working at Keeneland around the turn her whole life. She's ran two races around the turn, won them both. You know, I'm, I'm not very concerned about it. I, I think, you know, she's she's very quick and very agile, and I think that will, will help us a lot. Although it's, it's five-eighths of a mile, and um, Del Mar over the past years that I've went there and shipped and ran, it sort of favors courses that come from behind. So we will try to get her to settle early on and then come out with a run, but it, it may be an advantage to Marsha. Although I, you know, I think that the spacing that we have, you know, compared to Marsha's kind of coming back on after running in France again and running a beautiful race over there, you know, she should run a, a good race too. So it should it end up to be a really, really good race. And, and like I said, hopefully I can come up on the, uh, on the on the other side of the photo if it comes down to a photo finish. But, you know, all I can do is train my horse, and I'm very, very confident, very excited. Uh, everything's well. She's out in California now. Today she's, she's uh, training for the second day out there now. She trained yesterday perfect, and she's going to train again this morning. Everything looks great, and we're really excited. Let's talk for a moment about Julio Garcia. We mentioned him before. 
Lady Aurelia's exercise rider actually rode Lady Aurelia in her debut race, in which she, by the way, set a Keeneland track record for four and a half furlongs. Did I mention that Julio Garcia is 55 years old? What has he meant to her career? He's a wonderful guy. He's been with me a long, long time. He rode for me in 1991, a long ways back uh, for me out in California in Del Mar. Tremendous jockey. I can't say enough about him magical when you throw him up on the horse his hands he can just get the horses to melt you know when they're breezing in the mornings still when he rides he rides fantastic races for me likes to stay out of the spotlight you know if horses are coming into the big races he'd rather you know even if he's won a couple of races on the horse he'd rather you you go to a, a bigger name rider and really enjoys his role now just a fantastic uh, asset to my uh, operation and to my team You've mentioned how he brings out her speed early on, gets her to settle this year. What kind of notes do you give him? What kind of plan do you have overall that he contributes to? Well, we go over the workouts the day before. And then, you know, again, we reassess them the morning of with what we're going to do. And then, you know, Julio is the type of guy that, that you only have to tell him what you want to do once in one simple sentence. He understands it. He's rode so many different places, so many different racetracks, so many big races, rode group one, grade one winners. Just, you know, it's it's just communication that we have together of what we're trying to accomplish with the horse long term and overall and also on the day in that work. So he's uh, he's invaluable for me for, for what I, I always try to put him on the best horse in the works. And then he will break off behind the horses and teach them to re- relax and really get them to finish. He did so on the Philly I ran, Happy Like a Fool. Happy Like a Fool has gone by to take the lead. And now switching to the outside is Take Charge Paula in second. Happy Like a Fool in the clear from Take Charge Paula. Happy Like a Fool and Tyler Gaffaligone take the matron. I mean, I, I've got to attribute it to Julio. Where he just got her to kind of completely shut off, and and Tyler Gaffleyon, who wrote her for the first time, said he couldn't believe how relaxed she was. And I attribute all this to Julio. Now Julio also rides Ultima D in races. The running is getting serious now, but Ultima D appears to have a lot left, and Ultima D must be caught. Deep stretch now. The whip is out, and Ultima D, she's responding. Best performance is there with Go Noni Go. It's Ultima D holding on. It's Julio Garcia and Ultima D. They win the Exacta Systems Juvenile Phillies. Will he continue to ride her in races? He won't be up um, in this race. We've given the call to Tyler again. He understands that, you know, if she does get beat in these type of races, that, uh, you know, a lot of the owners will be subjective as to, you know, had we had a, a bigger name rider on the horse, what would have happened, this or that. You know, things happen in races that he can't control as well. And, you know, he, he really wants to to see the horses do well and to see me do well. Um, so, you know, I, I've got I've to give that to him. Now, Ultima D is headed to the juvenile Phillies turf. Where is she in her development? She's training fantastic. Okay, she's you know she's got some eye-opening works since that race. Her works are even better than her race. I'm really, really excited about her. She's um, you know she she's got that that wow factor in her works, and they're they're winning works. They're not just you know good works going into the race. So I really, really am. Extremely confident in this in this Philly running a real powerful race. I think it's gonna. I know I'll be a little bit of a longer shot on the board because she hasn't accomplished 
as much as some coming in. But, you know, if everybody was watching what I see in the mornings in her breezes, uh, they'd be standing in the $50 window line. Trainer Wesley Ward joining us here on In the Gate, a 1984 Eclipse Award winner as an apprentice jockey. You said you were big on training two-year-olds earlier in your career because you had a budget and could only afford a certain kind of horse, one with which you could almost steal those early season two-year-old races that the bigger trainers ignored. But what about now, after having success on two continents, have you recalibrated your strategy about what horses you can get and what kind of races you can win? Well, you know, obviously every trainer likes to win the, one, aspires to win the Derby, myself included someday, hopefully. But you got to get those type of horses in your barn. So, you know, I'm sort of branching out now to use the success that I've had to sort of try to put the yearlings and, and younger horses into the barn that can accomplish that. So it's, you know, stepping stones. You know, I've won uh, a few derbies for Mr. Ramsey with a few different horses that he's had. Uh, he's been confident enough in me to, to give me the horses that stretch out. Politically correct has won the Oklahoma Derby. And, I've, you know, I've won the... Ohio Derby and Oklahoma Derby form as well with Pleasant Prince. So, and you know, it's not to say that I can't train those horses. I just don't have those type of horses in my barn, and I and I look to have them hopefully in the future. You know, if you're going to race in, in in American racing and be competitive and be a, one of the premier trainers, you have to be in those races, and you have to have those type of horses to be in those races. Well, speaking of the type you are known for, two-year-olds, you'll also send out Hemp Hemp Hooray, who as a two-year-old has already had four starts, a typical Wesley Ward schedule. What do you want to see out of him in the juvenile turf? Yeah, he won early at uh, in, uh, in in Belmont, and we were looking uh, for a spot to, and we, we considered sending him out to Del Mar, but the Tyro looked like a real good spot to, to bring him back. I'm in and he he won that race with authority and then we went to the summer stakes in canada and ran a really good race he was second but johnny after uh, in the post parade he kind of reared his head up and hit johnny in in the nose and he had a nosebleed going into the gate he said he was somewhat dazed going into the race and he didn't quite ride the race that he wanted to ride or he said he thought he had a chance of winning he said he he would rather kind of got him back a little bit further in the first part of the race but uh, he ran a really good race. We're, we're excited about having him in there. He's a really easygoing and docile horse in the morning. He's not one that you'd have to have Julio to switch his speed off. Or, so he's a little bit fooling. You know, you can't really get a, a good line on him in his works, as I've said that uh, Lady Aurelia and Ultimate D have, just because he, he goes out there and he does whatever you want to do, which is an asset. He's, he's fast. When the gate's open, he's there. I think that's uh, a key to Delmar being as uh, the turn will come up, the first turn will come up pretty quickly to where both of him and Ultima D can get out and get over and get in a good position no matter what post position they draw. So I think that's a, that's a big asset that I'm going to have going into those races. Speaking of Lady Aurelia, and I ask this selfishly because I plan to be there that day, is it possible that we could see Lady Aurelia return to contest the King's stand at Royal Ascot next June against the mighty Winx from Australia, who at this moment has won 22 races in a row? Well, we'll be there, you know, according to Barbara Mankey and Peter Lydell. I mean, they... they are, uh, you know, pending, um, you know, she's, she's doing well at that time, but the plan is to bring her back as a four-year-old and hopefully we can culminate this year with a win in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. You know, these races are never easy to do, but that is the plan is to bring her back next year uh, and race her. 
Trainer Wesley Ward will look to add to his success in Europe with success at the Breeders' Cup. Thank you so much for a few minutes, sir, and the best of luck. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, one of the more colorful characters we've ever had on this show, Jay Oranger, co-owner of Breeders' Cup juvenile Philly contender Pietti Bianchi. So don't go away. Welcome back to In the Gate. I hate to break this to you, but you are probably not going to own the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Yankees, the Los Angeles Lakers. You don't come from an early 20th century captain of industry, and you're not an internet millionaire. You're probably what Daffy Duck described in the legendary 1958 cartoon Robin Hood Daffy, one of my all-time favorites, as a poor, unworthy slob. All day long, you'd bitty-bitty bum if you were a wealthy man or woman. But in racing, you can win the big one, even if your pedigree is more modest than your horse's. Jay Oranger may not exactly fit Daffy Duck's description of a poor, unworthy slob. Maybe he does, I don't know. But after many, many years as an earthy horse player in New York, he ponied up with some friends to buy exactly one horse— a filly who quickly thrust herself into the national racing discussion. The Eddie Banchi Bianchi's coming after them from third. Top of the lane now, and Chatty strikes the front. Chatty goes on for home, but here's Miss Bad Behavior coming right back along the inside. Down the center, Piatti Bianchi's finishing strongly. Piatti Bianchi going to get a ball. Piatti Bianchi going away. Pietti Bianchi followed that win with a second in the Del Mar Debutante and most recently a third in the Chandelier Stakes at Santa Anita. She certainly has a chance for a season-ending championship in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies back at Del Mar. And we're pleased to welcome to win the gate for the first time her co-owner, the colorful Jay Oranger. How does it feel that one of the first horses you ever owned after all your years being a horse player has a chance to win a championship? Well, you know, it, it was an amazing story. I mean, I've been betting the horses since, uh, you know, uh, ruffian foolish pleasure. So, you know, when I was 13 years old, I've been going to the racetrack and I'm there a lot. And, you know, I'm definitely uh, somebody that likes to play the ponies. And uh, 10 years ago, I had a couple of claimers. That's about it. But, uh, you know, we went uh, we went to this uh, sale and um, we uh, we met uh, Dennis O'Neill out there. I'm, I'm friends with Doug O'Neill, and uh, he came out for the day, one of the days also. And we just we just got lucky. I mean, uh, we looked at 50 horses, and uh, out of the horses, uh, you know, we kept looking and said, "Ah, this this woman's going to be too expensive, this too expensive." And then Doug was there for a few hours. We were having lunch, and it were two fillies right where we were going to have, uh, you know, right where the lunch was. And I said, Doug, c- come look at these two horses, see what you think of these two. So we go over there and there was one going, uh, Dennis said it's going to go for big, big money. And the other one's going to go for pretty cheap. And Doug looked at me and he said, uh, he said, listen, he said, uh, I think this cheaper one, it looks way better. He says, this is the athletic one. So, and we just, uh, you know, went to the ring about an hour later, we bid it and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. First race in May was at Las Alamitos, came in second, but she was on a dead rail, rail, they said. So, you know, we didn't know what we had. She ran a 60 buyer, but the next, the next race, uh, she breaks a maiden at Del Mar and she runs like an 80 buyer. And then we're starting to get real excited. And we see, I do the thoroughgraphs and she runs a five on the thoroughgraphs. I said, wow, this horse 
could be something. And Doug says, we're going to put her in the debutante. And, you know, that was one of the most exciting races, you know, uh, I've ever watched. I mean, you know, thinking, you know, why, first of all, the horse is going up 20 to one. And I'm saying the horse has a five under thoroughbreds. I, I didn't understand why she was 20 to one. I said, maybe they know better than me, but, uh, she was making that move, and I really, in the middle of the stretch, I was down low. Uh, I was screaming, go get it, because I know she likes to go get the horses. And, you know, we just ran out of ground, or, you know, I thought we really were going to win the deputante. And then, and then the chandelier, which was uh, a race, she, she got bumped coming out of, the, out of the gate. She was eight wide around the first turn. She was five wide around the, um, the back stretch. I mean, and she just never gave up. And, uh, you know, just to show her sheet numbers, uh, you know, Moonshine Memory was going to be the favorite. She had the same number, you know, losing to that horse by three lengths. And the Loring Star, who she just lost uh, at the end by, uh, you know, a nose, whatever it was, she had two points faster and a luring star. So, you know, it's pretty exciting. And Doug, from the beginning, once she won the maiden, she, you know, she, he had a slogan with me. He said, why not us? And, and, you know, that's what we believe in. You know, this whole thing has been just luck. So wh- why not keep it going? So that, that's the way, you know, that's how exciting it really is. So this is, you know, an incredible thing. I'm not, you know, someone like, uh, you know, we're a Baffert and a Pletcher, you know, they win all their races. They buy hundreds of horses at the sales and I'm, you know, I'm sure they're going to have some good ones, but I don't know if they have the percentage of me in March. I bought one horse and we're going to the breeders cup. So I think my percentage is better than theirs right now. Every time I hear this guy talk, I keep thinking back to the late, great Phil Foster, the actor who recorded a little ditty in the 1950s called Let's Keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. And I keep thinking every time I hear you talk that you're going to break into a rendition of that. Uh, (laughs) How did you get involved in horse racing many years ago? Um, Well, you know, my friends, uh, a couple of my friends' parents were tellers. So they would take us to the track and, you know, and back then, you know, this is what you did. You know what I'm saying? There was no video, nothing, video games, nothing like that. So at an early age, we were going and we had a whole group of us that would be going all the time. And then we, we actually, when we got a little in our teenage years, you know, not just Belmont, we'd be at Roosevelt Raceway, the Trotters every night. So it's been in my blood you know, forever, you know, going to the racetrack. Well, we have that in common because my father spent many Saturday nights at Roosevelt Raceway on Long Island, now defunct as well. Uh, it wouldn't be a Hollywood story without some involvement from Hollywood. How did you wind up in a cameo on the show Entourage? Uh, well, I, I have, and this is actually how I know Doug O'Neill also, because I knew Doug O'Neill way before that you know, that he was a trainer. I know him for over 10 years and I had nothing to do with, you know, horse racing with him. Obviously me being on the East coast, him being on the West coast, I never thought about, you know, ever teaming up for him getting a horse, but I have a good friend, uh, an actor, Jason Patrick, who, uh, very good friend of mine. And he went to high school with Doug O'Neill and he introduced me to Doug years ago. And, Jason, uh, you know, when he does uh, movies or TV shows, he, uh, you know, he asked me to do some cameos. So, you know, I'm in the SAG, you know, I get a few lines when he does the stuff. But Entourage was the coolest one because, uh, you know, my, you know, it was a hot show at the time. And uh, Jason called me up and said, uh, could you believe they want me to do this show entourage? She says, I'm not doing this show. I go, what are you out of your mind? This is the biggest show on TV right now. So he goes, you know what? If you do it with me, 
I'll, I'll do it. I said, all right, I have no problem with that. So he called the, the you know, the producer. He said, listen, I'll do the show, but you got to put my friend on it as the assistant. And he, and my name was Jinx during the show. So, you know, it was so cool that, you know, my kids uh, could watch me on, on a show like that. And, and at the time, like I said, the show was the hottest show on TV. So that was a great experience. Uh, uh, doing that out in somewhere in Los Angeles, right? At the time I was there, I was there eight days and it was, it was just a great experience, a, a lot of fun, but not as much fun as I'm having right now, you know, cause I really believe uh, our horse has a huge shot. I mean, last year, uh, Mario Gutierrez uh, won this exact race with a 33 to one shot. I think we're going off 12 to one only or whatever our price is going to be. So we're going to be less than 33 to one. So we have a, you know, a, a big, big shot to win it this year. So like me and Doug say, why not? Why not us? Well, here's the thing. And we're talking with Jay Oranger, co-owner of Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies contender Pietti Bianchi. Now, you're a hardcore horse player, obviously. So you try to see these horses as objectively as you can in order to figure out who's going to win a race where you're betting. Can you view Pietti Bianchi objectively since she's yours? I really could just because, like I said, uh, you know, I'm a big sheep player, you know, I'm a big trip player. And if this was not my horse and, you know, I think she's very underrated. I mean, the last two races was, you know, as good as you could run. She, she just needs to get during the Breeders' Cup race a good trip. She doesn't even need the best trip, but let's, you know, let's see if she could get a good trip where the other horses might not have it so easy, like in a chandelier on a speed favoring track and they're sitting one, two around the racetrack and we're, we're wide the whole way. So that's why I don't, even if I did not own this horse and I handicapped this race, I really would believe that she has a chance, a good chance to win this race. No doubt, no doubt on my mind. Did I see that you've entered her in the Facic Tipton November sale? Uh, yes. Um, you know what? My friend did that. Uh, I mean, she's only a two-year-old. You're giving up on her already? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That wasn't my doing, but, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if she's going to actually put her in that sale. So, you know, that was not my doing uh, at the time. So they had a, you know, I looked her up on there and the guy gave a, actually gave a good analyst on her about how, you know, she ran away longer than the other two horses in the last race. Cause she was so wide. She, he was one of the first person that I've heard said that about uh, our horse that, you know, she definitely uh, was wide around the racetrack and which is a, a big thing in horse racing. So, like I said, we're looking forward. I'm going out there with about 20 of my friends. We're all coming from the backyard of Belmont Park to go root, root, root Pietti on. So it's going to be some some weekend at Del Mar. Well, that is part of the question I have here, which is how has the experience of ownership changed how you look at the sport instead of just seeing it from a better's point of view? Well, you know what? Uh, I, I find myself looking, you know, on the computer, seeing, you know, what people are saying about her more. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a little different. You know, I, I actually uh, like the part of, of uh, betting because I'm in control. You know what I'm saying? And, that you know, that gives me uh, with uh, owning a horse, you have no control. You know, that horse, whatever, goes in the gate and, and that's it. So. But, you know, uh, if the horse uh, you bet doesn't win, it's, uh, listen, it's your own fault. 
you know what I'm saying? So uh, it's a little different, definitely. But, uh, you know, the experience for my kids, my wife, who's never even been to a racetrack before, all of a sudden she's a big fan of horse racing. So, you know, it's good to have new people in the game. You know, it can't just always be the same same people just uh, winning and winning and winning. And that's why, you know, the, the game needs new blood. There's no doubt about it. And this, to me, you know, even though it's my story, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty neat story, uh, how we got the horse and how we got, you know, here and, you know, we're going to be able to run on November 4th. How nervous do you think you're going to be at the Breeders' Cup? Well, uh, you know what, when the, the anxiety uh, an hour before the race really builds up and, uh, you know, when they get in the gate, actually, because of the chandelier and the deputante, it was the same exact feeling. It releases a little bit when they're in the gate. You know, that finally it's here. So, you know, it's two minutes, and I know it's coming to an end. But actually, the hour before, the hour before the uh, post time is when, to me, my my anxiety hits the most. You get, you know, you get very nervous. But when they get in that gate, you know, I know it's game time, and there's nothing else to be done but run the race. I think I I relaxed in the last uh, two races. So you know, and I got a, you know, listen, I got a big money guy, Doug O'Neill. He could win the big one. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he he's the one you want, you know, in your corner. When I tell my, you know, friends or people that I have this horse and I tell them who the trainer is, you know, they say, wow, that's the guy. So, you know, there's no one more that I would want in my corner training this horse than, uh, than Doug. There's no doubt about that. Well, we wish you the best of luck and perhaps I'll run into you at Saratoga next summer. Yeah, that would be great. Our thanks to Jay Oranger and to Wesley Ward. Horsemen shy away from dealing with major social issues, the type pervading other sports these days. But racing is unwittingly a microcosm for a bigger trend becoming a national craze. The trend is consolidation, fewer trainers with big stables that make it hard for smaller trainers to compete. There are half the number of U.S. trainers than 30 years ago. A small guy winning a stakes is quite a feat. But consolidation is happening in many major sectors, including media, where counterintuitively... The Internet, which has the room for a limitless number of voices, makes it hard for any one place in the industry to garner enough attention to make money so voices are quelled and those left shout out so loud they're a mockery. Who knew that racing's consolidation to a group of mega trainers was a social statement about diversity? You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. Remember to join us tomorrow as we continue our countdown to the Breeders' Cup, where we'll feature, among others, Happy Alter, owner, breeder, and trainer of Curlin's Approval in the Philly and Mare Sprint and a longtime friend of the late Muhammad Ali. But for now, that's In the Gate. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you tomorrow.